Is 3D printing the biggest bubble of them all? You're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show, folks. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. Two weeks ago, while David and I were in Omaha for the Berkshire Hathaway meeting, I sat down with Whitney Tilson. Tilson is the managing partner of Case Capital Management Hedge Fund in New York City. I hope you enjoy our chat. I'm here with Whitney Tilson, managing partner of New York-based hedge fund Case Capital. Whitney, thanks for joining us. Pleasure. The Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting just concluded. You got an opportunity to ask a question during the meeting, and it was about a book about 3G Capital called Dream Big. What's the book about, and what was your, what was one of your big takeaways from it? Right. Well, it just came out, so I've only uh, read the first chapter or so, but I've actually been um, following these uh, guys. It's three Brazilian entrepreneurs who, um, uh, and actually I'll show you a copy of the book, and you can see the picture of these guys. Uh, <laughs> I just got a hard copy of it. Uh, it literally just came out this week. Um, and... Uh, they, it is one of the most extraordinary business uh, stories of all time, you know, rivaling the rise of Berkshire Hathaway, a Sam Walton kind of story where these guys uh, started in the banking business in Brazil, must have been back in the late 60s, early 70s. Then they acquired a little brewer, uh, you know, a beer company. Um, and started acquiring other companies, culminating with acquiring Anheuser-Busch in the depths of the financial crisis in 2008. So they have, from from literally a $50 million, tiny little third-tier brewer in Brazil, uh, in 20 years they built the world's largest brewer. Um, then they took over Burger King, and then they just partnered up uh, with Buffett to buy Heinz in a $23 billion deal last year. So um, their, their track record is just extraordinary. Buffett thinks they are the best operating managers he has seen in his career, and that, that's saying something. And uh, so it's, um, I think anyone interested in business and entrepreneurship and just success uh, in investing should study these guys. And also, if you're a Berkshire shareholder, I think the Heinz deal is the first. I think these guys are now Buffett, and these three guys are hunting elephants you know, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to go after Campbell Soup or other, any kind of consumer company now, I think, is, is, is fair game with Buffett's deep pockets and these guys' manage, managerial ability. Um, you know, as a Berkshire shareholder, I'm thrilled by this. Well, as always, it was a marathon Q&A session with Warren and Charlie. Were there any surprises for you in what they said? Were there any big takeaways for you in, in what went on during the meeting this year? Well, you know, this is my, I think it's my 16th or 17th consecutive meeting, so it's hard sort of you. <laughs> hard, to, hard to get a lot of new stuff. Um, um, as someone who owns a little bit of uh, Fannie Mae stock, I thought their commentary near the end about uh, the GSEs um, uh, was interesting. Um, uh, I'd say really the very first question right out of the box this morning was about the Coke and Buffett abstaining for the compensation package. He got a lot of criticism. Why didn't you vote against it? And I sort of came into the meeting thinking, you know what, I wish, I wish he, had, he had voted against it. It would have sent a good, strong signal about the excesses of corporate comp in America and all. But after hearing them explain it, I'm satisfied that they did the right thing, that he did send a very strong signal. Uh, for Warren Buffett to abstain um, is a big, big deal. deal. Um, and they also clarified that the compensation package, there were reports out there that management was getting like 
uh, of the company over uh, five years or something, that it would be horribly dilutive. And Buffett went through some math that explained it's sort of 2.5% dilution, which is... Not quite the not, same. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so... If it were 16%, Buffett would have voted against it. 2.5%, he abstained. And, and Coke is, uh, you know, he, had, he has personal relationships there. He's obviously by far the most influential shareholder and so forth. So uh, he quietly and privately communicated uh, with Coke's management. And I think they are going to clean up that comp plan. Um, and so, so I think they did the right thing. I mean, they, th- there was a very, some very interesting commentary he and Munger had about the difficulties of trying to bring about change when you're on a board or a shareholder and how a board of directors is partly a business entity, but it's also a social club. <laughs> and it's and as Charlie has said in the past and said again today, you belch too many times at the dinner table, you'll be eating dinner in the kitchen, right? There's there's you know a lot of social pressure to sort of get along and it makes it difficult to really bring about change and and rein in comp and so forth. And they were it was interesting to hear the most powerful, respected, influential businessmen on earth mm-hmm. say that even their ability to try and change just the way things are is very limited. Now, Case Capital is a owner of Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. That is one of your larger holdings. Yes. It's uh, the only stock I've owned since inception almost 16 years ago. Uh, that's, so I've owned it for a long time. That's pretty. That's long-term ownership. That's yeah. I, I know that's a lot of your your investing it, thesis. It, just it like ranged Buffett. from a three percent position to a thirty percent position over that time period, depending on how attractive the stock price was. But today, it's my second or third largest position, about a six percent position. Um, I call it a safe, cheap, eighty-five cent dollar. It's not screaming cheap, mm-hmm. but it's better than holding cash. Well. Uh, there, the question comes up, as, as it often does, that the size of Berkshire Hathaway today, do you yeah. have concerns about it being able to beat the, the rest of the market? Um, I would give 80 to 90% chance that it beats the S&P 500 over the next 5 to 10 years. Um, but that is not any high bar, given, I think, you know, after five years of a bull market, um, I, yeah, I would guess the S&P, an S&P 500 index fund might do 5% a year compounded, um, you know, for the next five years or so would be my guess. Um, so um, I think Berkshire will, I think Berkshire Hathaway's intrinsic value is growing maybe 10% a year, barring some severe economic downturn or something. Um, I think it is trading at about a 15% discount to its intrinsic value. So there's always a chance that discount closes, which means if the intrinsic value grows 10% a year, that value gap closes a bit, you know, I might make 12 to 15% a year. And so you just have to have reasonable expectations. Berkshire is a sleep well at night kind of stock. Um, And you've got pretty decent downside protection and the Buffett is willing to buy it back at 1.2 times book. Today, it's off the top of my head, 1.35 times book or something. So much more than 10% downside on the stock from here, and Buffett himself was willing to step in. So there aren't many stocks that have decent upside, super high quality, balance sheet, business, management, and you sort of have, I think, pretty well capped downside, you know, 10 to 15% down from here. Uh, I spend a lot of time looking at financial companies, and AIG is another holding sure. at Case Capital. Sure. Uh, there's been a lot that's happened in the turnaround. Is there any? Do, do you have any sense that the turnaround is sort of slowing at this point, or is there is the momentum still going there, and the business will continue to get better? Yeah, the stock has um, has been uh, the stock had a really great run from thirty bucks up to uh, up to about fifty bucks, and it's sort of stagnated the last couple quarters as the last couple earnings releases. Ha- um, 
haven't been the big beats that they had for the prior year, let's say, that really drove the stock up a lot. So um, I, it's still one of my favorite and one of my top three positions. Um, I think there's a, uh, it's a fabulous franchise. Peer insurance companies are trading at 1.2, 1.3 times book, and AIG's trading at a 30% discount to book. So just on the valuation adjustment to its peer groups, um, the stock could be up 50 to 100%. Um, and I also think uh, book value is going to continue to grow, um, and they've got um, a lot of cost cutting, I think, is starting to kick in. Um, you know, I think they fixed the underwriting piece of it, and now it's a question of getting costs under control. Um, and everything I'm seeing is is they are, but it just takes some time. So, so AIG, I think, um, over the next year or two, I expect to do very well. That's why it's one of my biggest positions. Any thoughts on the eventual CEO transition? Not really. Um, there seems, um, I'm forgetting his name off the top of my head, but there seems to be a pretty strong number two there. And, right. um, and um, so that doesn't really affect my investment thesis at this point. Uh, in another management story over at Citigroup, you've got Mike Corbat coming in there, and right. everybody is really excited about him. A right. little bit of a tough year so far this year, most recently yeah. with the with the C-car failure. Yeah. Um, that's another holding at Case Capital. Yeah. Any concerns about Citigroup? Yeah, Citigroup and AIG are actually very similar themes, um, in, in my opinion. Both companies basically went bankrupt and got bailed out by the government in the crisis. Terribly tainted, terrible headlines. Um, both have very have cleaned up, uh, gotten rid of the, all, a lot of the bad businesses. Um, they've run off their bad book of business. Um, yet I still think the stocks are still tainted by what happened during the crisis. Um, both are trading at a discount to book value, um, and both are fabulous global franchises that are worth at least one times book, probably you know 1.2 times book. Um, and so Citigroup, though, is about half the size position for me as AIG for two reasons. Um, I have a little more confidence in Ben Moshe and the turnaround and cost cutting and so forth. Um, probably a little bit better business, um, and the stock's trading at a bigger discount to book. So cheaper stock, better business, better management. That's why it's a bigger position. But, you know, Citigroup, I think, um, you know, should, you know, should, you know, I'd say it's probably got 20% upside, you know, when some of the current short-term noise passes. You know, it was obviously a big disappointment when they didn't get approval to be returning capital. I think it sort of delayed a near-term catalyst for the stock were delayed, and a lot of short-term oriented folks just dumped the stock. Right. Um, but, you know, surprisingly, the stock actually has sort of held up pretty well, actually, um, just because it's so cheap. Um, and the capital's and, there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, to some extent, forcing a bank that ran out of capital to hold more excess capital, you know, as someone who most idea. importantly prefers to sleep well at night, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, Case Capital now also has some short positions. Last year, tough year to be on the short side of the market. (laughs) Once every 10 years kind of year where it was just carnage, carnage for short sellers. And a lot of people gave it it up entirely. Now this year... I'm stubborn to do that though. (laughs) Now this year we've seen maybe a little bit more turnaround. uh, Turnaround in the the opposite direction. It's really been working this year. For investors on the long side of the market, sure. what parts of the market should they be should they be looking out for? What what are the danger zones? Yeah, um, just generally anything with a lot of hype and momentum, um, where it's just 
almost staggering to me that, you know, less six years after one of the worst downturns and financial crises in history, I sort of thought it would take another generation. It would be 20 years before unbelievable stupidity and just speculation, so forth, return to the markets. And here we are back in full force. Like when I saw um, the Wolf of Wall Street movie about the bucket shops promoting these fraudulent companies, uh, you know, 20 years ago or something. As I watched that movie, I'm like, nothing's changed. Like I'm short a bunch of companies that I know are being promoted by fraudsters and bucket shops and so forth. Guys just like the Wolf of Wall Street. Um, now, these tend to be a little bit smaller uh, companies, probably off the radar screen of most investors. But just be careful. I mean, a classic example is the 3D printing sector. Mm-hmm. Like, every good fraud or promotion mm-hmm. um, has some legitimacy, some veneer of legitimacy. 3D printing has been around for 20 years. Mm-hmm. There are companies that have real revenues. It's not a fraud. Right. But it just got promoted to the moon. Um, but, you know, the, a lot of stuff in the biotech space, um, you know, just... The areas where the frauds and promotions tend to occur are medical devices, exciting new technologies, you know, that kind of thing. And most investors will by far be better off sticking to things like Berkshire Hathaway or AIG or Citigroup, like solid businesses trading at low multiples of earnings or book value. Um, You won't have a lot to talk about at cocktail parties, but you're not going to lose your shirt either. And right now we're in an environment where investors should be thinking first and foremost about not losing their shirt. Because a lot of these momentum names, they've been cut in half, Mm -hmm. and they're still wildly overvalued by any. There are no value guys that are going to step in and support that stock. I think 3D Systems has got another 50% drop in it. Uh, You know, the stock went from 10 to 100 and I was short it from $60 on up um, and kept pounding the table and warning people. Um, and the, the, really, the peak of it was uh, at the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas in January. I was out there, and they announced that they had just appointed a new creative director, Will I Am, the singer. And I said, this is the sign of a top. <laughs> That's this is shark moment right yes, there. Yes, exactly. And sure enough, that day was the stock's peak at 98 bucks. Today, oh. it's down more than 50%, you know, three, four months later. And I just feel bad for the retail investors who got sucked into a giant promotion. Um, you know, at that point, it was trading at something like 20 times revenues. Mm-hmm. And I actually posted... Um, uh, an article about this Will I Am and this is the sign of a top on, uh, on one of the uh, websites and someone in the message board said oh, Tilson doesn't know what he's talking about you know the companies it's a good company it's only trading at 20 times earnings and I sort of slapped my head and I said that's the problem here there are people being drawn into the stock who don't understand the difference between 20 times earnings and 20 times revenues and that's a big difference that's all the difference in the world right so, you know, by the way, I haven't covered a share. I shorted more on the way down at 60 bucks. Uh, stock's in the 40s today. And I think intrinsic value is 10. Yeah. It's, not a, it's not a fraud. It's not going to zero. It's a business thing. Yeah, and it's probably worth three times revenues, um, two to three times revenues. So my price target is 10 bucks. Now, there's enough sort of hype around it that I'll probably cover most of it before it really gets down there because once it gets down to a low level, you never know. It can get promoted back up, right? Mm-hmm. So as a short seller, you can't be too greedy. Now, finishing off on a, on a fun note, uh, a lot of shopping goes on at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, and I noticed that you had a shopping bag with you. Yes. What are some of the things that you picked up here? Yes. Well, I always pick up some C's candy, uh, which is my favorite. Um, I picked up a, a nice new uh, Berkshire Hathaway white uh, polo shirt uh, to, to I play 
play tennis. And then uh, I picked up two books. Um, one, the book I showed you earlier about the 3G guys um, who Buffett partnered with to buy Heinz. Um, and another book uh, that I wasn't even aware uh, was out about the women at Berkshire Hathaway. And my wife was here at the annual meeting last year and asked um, a question. I have three daughters. Uh, and, and she said, you know, Mr. Buffett, Mr. Munger, you know, I've got three daughters and I want them to be able to do anything in life. And when I look at the top of corporate America, I don't see very many women. You know, is there a glass ceiling? Is this a problem? And what should we do about it? And Buffett really engaged on this issue. Uh, I'm notice, I just noticed in the annual meeting film this morning where they have pictures of all the Berkshire Hathaway CEOs, okay. uh, uh, now a handful uh, are women. Um, and so Buffett is trying to be a leader in this area. And so I'm really looking forward to reading this book to learn more about the women who have you know, risen to the top of Berkshire Hathaway. Maybe I'll, uh, if I like it, I'll have my wife and daughters read it. Well, Whitney Tilson, managing partner of Case Capital, thanks again for joining us today. My pleasure. That's our show today and for the week. As always, you can shoot us an email at WTMI at fool.com or tweet us at TMF Financials. I'm Matt Kopenheffer, and we'll see you on Monday. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.